It seems that uh, no matter what area of life that you need some advice on, there's an expert for it. People trained to give you help in that area. So we have midwives, we have doctors, we have skin specialists, we have orthodontists, we have car mechanics, suspension specialists, auto electricians, tyre specialists, we have agronomists if you're a farmer, we have tennis coaches and golf pros, we have piano tutors, maths tutors, English tutors, we've got financial planners, mortgage advisors, accountants, we have dog trainers, animal psychologists, there's someone to help you pick the colour of the paint for your house, there's someone who can give you expert advice on finding the right running shoe, and the list goes on, there's an expert for everything, someone you can go to when you need advice. But what if you wanted an expert on life? Who would you go to then? Your mum or your dad? Oprah? Dr Phil? Google? If you wanted someone who really understood what life is all about, who would you turn to? Well, this morning we're going to have a look at a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book written by an expert on life so as to help people like us make sense of life. So, who's the expert? Who's the author of Ecclesiastes? Who could possibly be qualified to teach us about the meaning of life? Well, this is how the book starts. We're told right up front that Ecclesiastes is the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, there's only one person who was both the son of David and the king in Jerusalem, and that's King Solomon. And if anyone in the Bible, in fact, if anyone in the history of the world was an expert on life, it would have to be King Solomon. Just listen to what the Bible tells us about King Solomon. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So did you get that? Solomon is incredibly wise. And it goes on. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt he was wiser than anyone else. In other words, King Solomon, he is the wisest person on the earth. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. You getting the point? King Solomon is, it seems, an expert on everything. Plants, animals, wisdom, songwriting, proverbs, life. If he were alive today, he'd be on Better Homes and Gardens and he'd be on The Chase and he'd be on Have You Been Paying Attention. Everyone would be after him. In fact, that's what happened to Solomon. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. If anyone was an expert on life, it was King Solomon. And Solomon, in his wisdom, he was a bit of a writer. He wrote a few books. So Proverbs, another book of the Bible, the one just before Ecclesiastes, that's Solomon's book all about wisdom. The book after Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, 
That's Solomon's book all about love and sex. And Ecclesiastes is Solomon's book about the meaning of life. So what does King Solomon say about life? Well, he was a wise man, so he doesn't leave us waiting. He tells us right at the start his main point. This is what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does King Solomon say about the meaning of life? He says everything is meaningless. Now, that's not just a conclusion that Solomon made up out of thin air. In actual fact, King Solomon spent years experiencing life under the sun. That is, life on this earth. And he spent years deliberately searching, trying to find something in life worth living for. Trying to find something that gives life meaning. And that's really what the rest of Ecclesiastes is. It's a record of Solomon's journey as he searches for the meaning of life. So we're going to join Solomon on his journey this morning and see what he discovers. But I've got to warn you up front, what we're going to see again and again is that everything is meaningless. But let's have a look. The first thing that King Solomon investigates is wisdom and knowledge and learning and education. He says this, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Now, it's not like he just read a couple of books or listened to a couple of podcasts. No, Solomon studied and devoted his life to getting a good education. Which is what a lot of people do today, really, isn't it? We work hard at school and we study so we can get a good mark on the HSC. And we do that so we can get into the best unis, so that we can get the best degree, so that we'll be set up for life. It's as if we think that education and learning and wisdom is the key to life. That somehow that's what life is all about. Well, Solomon embraced that way of thinking. He studied and he became wiser and more knowledgeable than anyone before him. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. So Solomon gives wisdom a try, but he doesn't just try out wisdom. He also tries out its counterpart. Folly, foolishness. Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. And what did he discover? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So wisdom is better than folly, Solomon says. There is something good about wisdom and learning and education. But the question is, Does wisdom and knowledge give meaning to life? Is life about gaining wisdom? Here's what Solomon says. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? This too is meaningless. Like the fool... The wise too must die. So you see what Solomon says? He says that life is not about wisdom. In fact, it's meaningless. And the reason it's meaningless is that death robs it of any value. Because no matter how smart you are, no matter how much study you do, 
no matter what mark you get on your HSC, no matter what degree you have, no matter how many letters you have after your name, like the fool, the wise too must die. The same fate overtakes them both, so what then do you gain by being wise? This is meaningless. Well, the second thing that King Solomon investigates is pleasure. Perhaps pleasure is worth living for. Perhaps pleasure gives meaning to life. Solomon says, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And so he starts by building his dream house with beautifully landscaped gardens. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. But that's not enough still, and so he goes on to amass a great fortune. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. So determined is Solomon to give pleasure a try that he denies himself nothing. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Sounds good, doesn't it? In his book, Affluenza, uh, Clive Hamilton says that for the last 20 years or so, Australians have been living like King Solomon. We've been on a massive luxury spending spree. What was once considered extravagant, we now think of as normal. So, for instance, it used to be that the great Australian dream was to own your own home. And that home used to be, you know, kind of a three-bedroom brick veneer in the suburbs somewhere. But now, the Australian dream is to own a big home with a two-car garage, a couple of living areas, a smart TV in just about every room, including the bedroom, surround-stound stereo, a walk-in wardrobe, two bathrooms, a shed, a sewing room, a pool, and an outdoor pizza oven. And for many of us, the reality is that we can have those things if we want them. Isn't it great to be Australian? And I honestly mean that. We have everything we want, just like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. But the question is, are we any happier? Does all that stuff make our lives better? At the end of the day, what does it gain, really? Well, here's what Solomon discovered. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Living for pleasure, living in luxury, living the Australian dream, building your dream house, saving up a tiny nest egg for your retirement, it's all meaningless. Pleasure achieves nothing, luxury gains you nothing, Why? Because, yet again, death robs it of any meaning. No matter what experiences you've had, no matter how much you've enjoyed life, in the end, you will die. And it'll all mean nothing. You may as well have been chasing after the wind. So life is not about pleasure. So if pleasure doesn't give meaning to life, what about work? Could working hard give our lives purpose and meaning and value? 
Well, I think lots of us instinctively act as though work does give our lives purpose and meaning and value. For instance, when we meet someone, often our first question is, what do you do? It's as though we think what someone does for work gives us an indication of their value and meaning and their place in the world. A lot of mums I know find it hard to stay home and to spend their time raising their children and caring for their families. There seems to be this constant tug to go back to work. It's almost as though staying home somehow has less meaning and value than going back to work. Or when we hear of someone who's unemployed and who doesn't have work, we feel sorry for them, don't we? And we hope that they'll get work. We act as though work gives our lives purpose and meaning. But is that right? Well, that's what Solomon investigates next. He throws himself into his work. He worked hard, striving to achieve great things. I undertook great projects. I built houses. I I made gardens and parks. I amassed silver and gold. Solomon gave work his all. He lived for work. And this is his conclusion at the end of it all. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. See what he says? Death robs work of meaning and value and purpose because no matter how good and skillful you are at your job, no matter how committed you are, no matter how many hours you spend at work, no matter how much overtime you do, no matter what you've achieved at work, no matter what you've built, no matter what you've got to show for your labour, no matter how far up the career ladder you have climbed, one day you'll be dead. And you'll have to leave it a whole lot of, the whole lot behind for someone who hasn't worked for it and who knows what they're going to do with it. Who knows whether they're going to be wise or a fool. So living for work is meaningless. Death makes it meaningless. Well, the fourth place that King Solomon Solomon looks for meaning is in money. Is money worth living for? Perhaps wealth can give our lives meaning. And King Solomon should know because, remember, he amassed silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. He was richer than anyone else. So what does King Solomon say he discovered about money and riches and wealth. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Solomon says living for money is meaningless because it won't and it can't satisfy you. You will never have enough. In fact, the more money you have, the more trouble it will cause you. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. See, the more money you have, the more there is to worry about. The person who loves money lies in bed worrying about their money, worrying about their investments, worrying about their superannuation. Because money doesn't make you happy. In another one of his books, uh, Growth Fetish, Clive Hamilton has a chapter asking the question, 
does money make people happier? And he looks at some statistics. He says that up to a certain point, actually, money does make you happy. For instance, you need to be above the poverty line. That amounts to about $10,000 Australian. In countries where people earn under $10,000, as a general rule, they often are unhappy. They're unhappy because there's no food, there's no clothing, there's no house. But above $10,000 per year, he says, there's no relationship between happiness and money at all. No correlation. So whether you earn $10,000 or $30,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 or $200,000, it makes no difference. You'll be no happier. There's no correlation between money and happiness. In fact, in the book, Clive Hamilton goes on to say that he's interviewed some of the richest people in the world and what they said time after time was things like they're miserable, it's not worth it, and most disturbingly of all, the process of getting rich is often what causes the problems. All of which goes to show that money doesn't make you happy. In fact, money can make you very unhappy. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Solomon says, whether you have a lot of money or whether you just have a little bit, when you die, it's all gone anyway. It is so fleeting. It is so temporary. Death robs money of any value or meaning. And so Solomon's conclusion is that living for money is meaningless. But of course, it's not just money, is it? Work, pleasure, wisdom, Solomon has experienced it all and right at the end of Ecclesiastes, he gives his conclusion. These are some of the very last words of Solomon in the book. He says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So Solomon, the great expert on this world, spent his life searching, trying to find something worth living for, something that gives life meaning. But every time he tried something, every path he went down, he came up against the same problem. Death. Wisdom is meaningless because we die. Pleasure is meaningless because we die. Work is meaningless because we die. Money is meaningless because we die. And so in the end, Solomon's conclusion is that because of death, everything is meaningless. And that conclusion has really stood the test of time. About a thousand years after Solomon, people were still saying basically the same thing. Later on in the Bible, after Jesus had risen from the dead, a guy named Paul wrote some letters. Paul had met Jesus and had become one of his followers. And this is one of the things Paul wrote about a thousand years after King Solomon died. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Basically there, Paul is saying the same thing as King Solomon. 
if all that happens to us at the end is that we die and that's it, then everything is meaningless. If the dead are not raised, if death is the end, then you may as well live it up now. You may as well enjoy life while you still can. You may as well eat and drink, because who knows? Tomorrow you could be dead, and whatever you've devoted your life to, you'll have to leave it behind, and you'll have gained nothing. That's what Paul says. If the dead are not raised, if death is the end, then the best you can possibly hope for is to enjoy the few days of your life while you're still here. Because nothing you do lasts, nothing you do has any uh, meaning. In fact, if the dead are not raised, and if death really is the end, then you and I are really just a random collection of atoms that happen to have come together for a few years to make a human being. But when we die, our bodies will decompose, they'll break down, and those atoms will go off and they'll make something else, and we'll be gone, forgotten, meaningless. That is, if the dead are not raised. But what if the dead are raised? What if death isn't the end? In his letter, Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, because tomorrow we die. But he also says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, when he talks about Christ being raised from the dead there, he's talking about Jesus. In this letter, Paul says that Jesus died for our sins. He says he was buried. But then he says that Jesus was raised back to life from the dead. So if the dead are not raised, everything's meaningless. We should eat and drink and enjoy life because tomorrow we'll be dead. But what if the dead are raised? This is what Paul goes on to say in his letter. Since Christ Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? See what he's saying? Jesus has done something about the problem of death. He came back from the dead. He has victory over death. He has defeated death. And that changes everything. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead... Death has lost its sting, Paul says. Death has lost its power. Death no longer has the power to make everything meaningless. And the reason that death has lost its sting and its power is because Jesus didn't just rise from the dead so he could live forever. No, he rose from the dead so that we could live forever as well. Jesus says that if you trust him, if you follow him, he will give you life after death. He will give you eternal life. Life that doesn't end. Ecclesiastes gave us a picture of life without Jesus. And what we saw is that life without Jesus is meaningless. Because no matter what you do in life, no matter what you experience, no matter what you achieve, it doesn't change the fact that in the end you'll die and that's it. That's the end. You've got to leave everything behind. You've gained nothing. It was all a chasing after the wind. That's life without Jesus. Life with Jesus, now that's a different story. Because living for Jesus 
trusting Jesus, following him, it is the one thing that has value and meaning and purpose, not just here and now in this life under the sun, but it is the one thing that has value and meaning and purpose beyond death and into eternity. So we've got a choice. You've got a choice. You can go on trying to find your own meaning in life. You can pursue wisdom or pleasure. You can live for work or money or wealth. You can follow your heart. You can live your dreams. But please know that King Solomon, he's done it all before. And the warning he gives us in Ecclesiastes is that it won't satisfy you. You won't be fulfilled. You won't find meaning and purpose because in the end you'll just die and everything you've lived for will be lost in an instant. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You can live like that or you can turn to Jesus and find meaning and purpose in him. Here and now, in this life, under the sun, you can live for Jesus. You can ask him to forgive you for ignoring him. You can ask him to forgive you for trying to live life your own way. You can ask him to forgive you for trying to find meaning in life without him. And the great news is if you do that, he will forgive you. And he will give you the gift of eternal life. He'll give you life without end. He'll give you life that goes beyond the grave and that lasts forever. And that gives life meaning. That is something worth living for. Jesus is worth living for. Let me pray. Father, often we feel uh, kind of instinctively or intuitively the things we've been thinking about this morning. We feel a kind of sense of futility about life because we put effort in and we work hard but we don't seem to get anywhere. And there's injustice and, and in the end we die and, and it's all been a, a waste of time. We feel that because that's a reality, like we've been seeing from Ecclesiastes, that life in this world, it is meaningless. We're here for a few short days and then we're gone. And anything we do or achieve or experience, it's gone as well and we're forgotten. But Father, thank you for the hope and the life that Jesus brings. Thank you that by trusting him and following him, we can have life even after death. Death isn't the end anymore. Thank you that we can have eternal life because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. He defeated death. And thank you that because he gives eternal life, he gives meaning to our lives. And so help us, please, uh, to keep mulling over these things, but help us especially to put our trust in Jesus so that we might have life eternal life, life that lasts forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.